I'm Noah. And I'm Ben. And you're listening to Product Journey. So listeners, today we have another guest and I'm excited to talk to him. We have Rami. How's it going, Rami? Good, Noah. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, Christmas and uh, all that kind of stuff that comes with that are kind of coming and uh, things are kind of slowing down. How's that uh, looking for you? Uh, Pretty much exactly the same, just winding down, um, just removing stuff off my to-do list because I'm not going to get around to doing them. I'm just kind of relaxing a bit. (laughs) Just have an empty to-do list. (laughs) Exactly. That's, That's probably a good feeling. It is. I mean, at first I was getting a bit stressed thinking I'm I'm never going to get any of this stuff done. And then uh, I just talked myself around and thought it doesn't actually matter. It's all good. Just do it next year. Yeah. Well, um, so listeners, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, Rami, what he's been up to. Um, and, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about that just so you can get an idea where he's kind of coming from. And then we're going to kind of start out talking about this idea that Ramey actually wrote a blog post about, which is, um, building, a, a a business that's like a research as a service. RAS, is that what we call that? Is that actually like a, a thing, RAS or, you know, instead of SAS? Yeah, I don't think that's actually a thing, but uh, but it works. <laughs> we can we can make it, I guess. Exactly. Um, okay, so Rami, you've done. I think it seems like your main thing now is page flows, where it can help uh, see people, help other people see designs of how how user flows are done. You can kind of see how other products are doing it. Um, so you've been working on page flows. You have Screen Jar. Um, which helps um, people, and you can correct me if I'm wrong with, with any of this, um, Screen Jar helps, seems like mostly support teams, um, be able to to see what their users are actually doing, you know, kind of capture the screen as the user sending back um, some information, maybe a bug they found, something like that. Um, and you've been an indie hacker since 2018, so you've been doing this kind of for a while, um, which is all really cool. Uh, so, so, so Rami, what, what have I gotten wrong there? What am I missing that you've been working on the last two years? Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty much spot on. Uh, I've been working on various things, but, um, page flows is the only one that's kind of got any traction and that's, what's been, um, paying the bills for the last couple of years. Um, and that's kind of allowed me to experiment with a few other things. I know you've you've talked about small bets on the podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's kind of what I've been uh, doing as well as page flows for the last couple of years. And Screen Jar was one of those small bets. Uh, I didn't really have too much conviction about the idea, but it was very quick to get out the door, and it quickly got a couple of customers. Uh, but I've been struggling with it since then, so I've gone back to kind of more small bets. Yeah, so I'm interested kind of when you started this journey, did you just kind of like quit your your day job or whatever you're doing and just be like, all right, I'm going to be an indie hacker full time, I'm going for this? Or did you kind of already have like a, a an idea and a business in the works that was starting to work before you made that transition? Uh, it's it's a bit of a mix. So I, I, was, I was working as a uh, software developer, uh, as a lot of indie hackers are. 
and I started working on a bunch of side projects, and one of them was kind of linked to PageFlows, uh, so it was a newsletter that shared design inspiration, and while it wasn't making any money, it did get, you know, some good reach, um, and instead of, you know, quitting my job uh, to go full-time on trying to build down to something or build other products, I went part-time, uh, which I was really lucky to be able to do. Uh, I was contracting for four days a week and then three days a week. And then I think eventually I went down to two two days a week. Uh, I don't really remember, to be honest. Um, but I, I did end up uh, quitting, uh, kind of going all in before I was making much uh, revenue. And at that point, I had a good amount of savings and um, thought it was a risk worth taking for a, a few months. And thankfully, uh, it kind of worked out in the end. And PageFlow started making... Uh, a little bit of money which kind of helped me not burn through all my savings and that that's kind of gradually grown to the place where it's replaced my um employment income yeah that, that's great so did you kind of just like when did you know that you wanted to do your own businesses or is this kind of already an idea always an idea you had in your mind or when did this kind of start taking place that you wanted to be an indie hacker uh yeah i've been wanting to start a business for many years and I initially did the thing that a lot of indie hacker types do which is uh, go the normal startup route um, so you know a few years ago after I graduated from university I joined a startup accelerator here in London um, me and, and a co-founder start an app essentially raise a small amount of money and try to go the full you know startup route where you raise money and go big or go home exactly and we went home is the <laughs> is how that one ended up uh, it, it was it was really it was really great fun a great learning experience but after that i you know went back to to employment and uh and kind of started tinkering with side projects at that point uh, and i always knew i'd want to start something again but after that experience i was more interested in the kind of one person two person small business um, and then, you know, during that phase, I came across indie hackers, uh, startups for the rest of us and the whole like kind of bootstrapper community and found it so much more interesting, um, than the kind of VC backed path. And, uh, yeah, just kept tinkering, tried, I've tried so many, so many things in the past. Most things have got nowhere. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been, a, it's been a long road so far. Yeah. That was just making me think one thing that I've, enjoyed from kind of like the indie hackers community bootstrappers um online and, and kind of the community around that versus because kind of i was similar to you like i was kind of everything i was reading and stuff was in kind of the startup world vc world when i started kind of getting more interested into bootstrapping this kind of stuff like it was very interesting to me uh, just like how different people talked about things like I don't, I don't know if you thought this or one, one of the things I saw was just like how much more like helpful and like open people seem to be in like the indie hackers and bootstrappers communities compared to like VC com communities. Did you kind of notice that at all? I mean, to be fair, I actually got a lot of help from the kind of VC back community as well. Um, that was kind of one thing that surprised me generally. Uh, so, you know, during that, during the accelerator, a lot of people were super helpful and I even ended up, you know, becoming friends with people who are building competing businesses and they were super helpful too. Um, so yeah, I, I guess, mm -hmm. I guess my experience with the startup community as well as the indie hacker community is that most people are helpful. I, I don't know, 
um, if I found one helpful more helpful than the other. But I was surprised at how helpful people were generally, and that's kind of um, compounded over time as I've met more people. Um, you know, I try to help people out; people help me out. It's it's been yeah. awesome so far. So going back to page flows, you said it kind of started out as like a a designer kind of email newsletter thing. Um, what what made you start that? Were were you um, really into designs and UI design kind of stuff from the get go, or yeah, you know, how did that come about? Yeah, at the time I was kind of itching to start something, and I was uh, super interested in UI design specifically, but I wasn't interested uh, in the other elements of design like logo design and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and the idea I came up with. Uh, from that was I thought it'd be cool to have a newsletter where it just featured cool UI designs and not you know the other aspects of designs so if you look at a lot of the design communities it's all kind of bundled together um, so I thought yeah it'd, it'd be great to kind of put something together super quickly put it out there and that was a super quick side project and I launched it on Product Hunt soon after building it and it got a lot more traction than I expected so that traction kind of made me continue working on it for a while yeah, so then how has it kind of changed over over time to what it is now with like pageflows.com and do you still do the the email newsletter kind of thing or is it is it different now? The the newsletter still is still going. It's changed a lot since then. Um but at the time uh when I was running the newsletter, I was making a little bit of money from it through sponsorships and I really didn't enjoy that process because uh, it involved, you know, trying to sell a sponsorship slot every week, and I just couldn't be bothered to mm -hmm. do any of that, to be honest. And I was just looking for opportunities to, you know, sell something directly to the subscribers. And I set up a few calls with some of the subscribers and just asked them, um, you know, is there anything I could do to UI Movement, which is what it was called at the time, uh, that you'd be willing to pay for, or any other, you know, design tools I could build that you'd be willing to pay for. And at the time, I didn't really know that much about, you know, the mum test or the proper questions you should ask. So I was just asking them up front, like, what should I build? <laughs> which is, which, you mm -hmm. know, now I know is completely ridiculous. Um, but, you know, one of the common themes that came up when I asked those questions was they liked the, the UI, in, you know, the design inspiration that was featuring the newsletter. But it'd be cool to feature more realistic UI designs from uh, shipped products. And that's kind of where the idea for Pageflows mm -hmm. came about. And I built that out as a, as a separate site. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's interesting that uh, you, you kind of got the idea from a, a user. That's pretty cool that the, they had that insight and, and shared it with you. Yeah, it is, it is funny because I think I, a few users brought that up uh, as something that they'd be interested in paying for. And I think, like, most of them ended up not paying for it um, when I launched it, which is fair enough, but... Uh, but yeah, the idea ended up having some validity to it anyway, so it kind of worked out in the end. Yeah, that's great. So I, I guess we can kind of switch over to kind of this topic that we wanted to discuss, which is kind of like a research as a service, kind of like an info product. And you wrote a, a blog post on this that we'll put in the show notes. So listeners, you can check that out. Um, but you're so in this, you're kind of pushing this idea that you think the indie hackers should maybe more so look at doing like a research as a service kind of info product instead of SaaS. Uh, why do you think that is? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think that people should do it more, but I do think it's kind of uh, underestimated. If you look at indie hackers now, or if you look at kind of the bootstrapping community, everyone seems to default to SaaS. Uh, and it's completely understandable because, you know, SaaS just seems so appealing. You know, you, you build software once, you put it out there, people pay for it every month and you're off to mm-hmm. the races and it just it just sounds amazing. And I've kind of um, been pulled into that uh, kind of appeal and spent a good amount of time trying to build SaaS products and I've really struggled. Uh, and that's not to say, you know, I've struggled because SaaS is harder or worse or difficult, like I might just be bad at it. Um, but I think there are plenty of opportunities where uh, developers specifically could um, attempt to build great products and great services for people um, in the kind of research space. And some examples of this come from uh, indie hackers. So uh, Nomadlist is, is commonly brought up as a, as a great indie hacker example. And that to me seems like a, a research as a service type product. Uh, there's also key values, which kind of helps people decide which engineering teams to to try to join. Um, and I just think that there's a lot of opportunities there that are kind of overlooked and underestimated, and developers uh, with their developer skills could build um, great products in those types of spaces. Yeah. So you, you had a couple other examples in the blog. So obviously, PageFlow is what you're working on is kind of an example of this. Uh, there's NerdWallet, the org, Cyberleads. I've been seeing Cyberleads on Twitter. He's been doing a, a good job yeah. uh, growing that. Um, and then I added, so two I know is Corey Haynes is doing swipe files, um, which is kind of like, you know, sh- showing uh, landing page designs and how, how, and how other people are, are doing those. Um, and then there's... I think this, yeah, this is kind of similar as like software ideas. Um, Kevin Conti's, you know, this is, you know, a newsletter, um, but basically showing different ideas, how to do the research. And he, he already kind of did the research for people that then kind of looks into some different markets, gives people ideas to what to build and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Um, <clears throat> so... I guess one of the interesting things is, you know, I think one obviously one of the reasons why software developers tend towards SaaS is because it's, you know, it's building software. Do you think that kind of these info products, these research products are not using like the main skills that like a software developer would have? Um, maybe compared to someone else that's like a writer or something like that. Yeah, it, it depends on the type of product you end up building. So if you look at Nomadlist, for example, um, there's a lot of kind of tech and interesting tech that goes into that. And a lot of that actually ends up um, helping the site grow. Um, so if you search best place to live that has good internet and is walkable, like Nomadlist is likely to come up. And I think that site you know, performs really well on, on like Google searches specifically because mm-hmm. it is a developer mm-hmm. who, who built it or someone who has a, a lot of technical skills. Um, so I think, you know, that there's plenty, there's plenty de- a developer could keep themselves busy with when they build content sites. I mean, Indie Hackers itself is a great example. That essentially is a content site. It started out as somewhat of a research as a service site for people looking for uh, business ideas um, that could, that could work right. for them. And I mean, you can see that Cortland uh, has kept himself very busy as a developer, kind of developing that site over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 
Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you can see kind of what's happening. Like, it seems like this kind of idea of just kind of info products in general is pretty hot right now, right? Like, the email newsletter space, Substack, like, people are actually paying for this stuff now. Uh, why do you think that things have kind of changed um, to where people are more willing to pay for this kind of content and it's kind of like on the rise? Uh, well, I guess like a lot of the the reason people are doing this more is because they see it's possible. Uh, you see a lot of people succeeding, so you kind of want to see yourself succeeding in those spaces. And also the tooling has massively improved to make it possible for, um, to make it a lot easier to get something out the door. Um, but yeah, I, I guess um, in terms of more um, why I think like developer types and indie hackers should look into it is uh, that although there is a lot of like off the te- off the shelf tools you could use uh, to build these experiences, uh, as a developer you can build you know more unique experiences more specific to the audience you're trying to serve, uh, and then you can also uh, work in the kind of marketing and distribution side of it as you're building uh, the research and putting it together. Uh, but yeah, I mean, inf- info products have been around for ages, and I mm-hmm. guess I haven't fully clarified in my mind the difference between like, you know, selling a PDF uh, book and the kind of research as a service things I'm looking at. Um, I think a, a lot of the info products are usually like teaching uh, and educational, which which is massively on the rise and, mm-hmm. and makes a lot of sense. Um, the research as a service thing, to me, the way I see it is, it's kind of helping people make. Uh, decisions or shortcut their research process so if if you're trying to figure out you know where to move which university to go to um, which software to purchase you're going to do some research and, and these kind of tools just just help you kind of shortcut that process which is a bit different to you know a pdf that's teaching you how to edit videos or uh, whatever does that make sense yeah so i mean it sounds like the the difference is mainly just research as a service is is showing is basically showing data that's that is valuable to people and and you're doing the work to get that data yeah Where, yeah info products are typically more yeah just teaching and, and things like that um yeah so i don't know one of the things that came stuck out to me this is just a hypothesis but one of my thoughts of why kind of these info products or research as a service products are becoming bigger now or maybe more valuable is because I feel like the the internet is just at such a mass scale that it's just like super noisy to where it's it's almost like harder to find the things you care about again and and obviously there's so many options there's just so much on the internet there's so much content um but i feel like because you know pretty much everyone gets their news all everyone gets what they see through like social media twitter facebook um that now they just kind of don't see and and there's so much coming through those platforms that now it's like they don't see anything (laughs) anymore (laughs) because there's just like so many things being thrown at them and so then having, you know, an info product where they see the specific things they want to see through, you know, different newsletters or with research, research as a service, you know, they, they see the data that they specifically care about um, that people are now willing to pay for those kind of things. Um, 
So that's just my hypothesis. What do you think about that? I think that makes a lot of sense. Like it's it's kind of overwhelming how much information is out there. So just to have some sort of like uh, guidance that to help you through uh, all that overwhelming information, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I I also I don't know. I I guess um, that's a reason why people are interested in those products. There's probably more reasons why people are more willing to pay for them. I think it's just over the years people have realized that it's okay to spend you know a few dollars on the internet and you can get value out of that um but there does seem to be more of a willingness mm-hmm. to pay for these kind of things these days i've noticed it in myself as well like if i come come across something now um that you know might cost like 30 or 40 dollars where i know it will improve the business or it will help me save time mm-hmm. i'm way mm-hmm. more willing to pay for it than i would have been five years ago i don't know if that's the case with you too yeah yeah that is an interesting um idea because i think that's very true for me um I think maybe part of that is, I think maybe the rise of some of this is kind of just the rise in the pro-consumer space, you know, the rise in solo entrepreneurs, indie hackers, people that are willing and trying to make money online. And, you know, if they have that as kind of their backbone of, I'm actually trying to make money here, you're, I feel like you're more willing to like, okay, I'll, I'll put some investment towards this. I'll, I'll teach myself by buying some info products or getting on some um, newsletters and um, yeah I think maybe people are just much more willing to pay for this stuff because they they see the potential now of like oh I could actually make a business um, from this and and so I need to teach myself and, and grow or or try to shortcut some ways uh, or shortcut some processes by having data that I need given directly to me with a uh, research as a service so maybe maybe that's Absolutely. what's going on I think that makes a lot um, of sense. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I, like, I would definitely pay for, for things. Um, because, you know, especially as, like, a solo entrepreneur, there's only so many resources and things that you have. And so it's, I think that's pretty awesome to be able to purchase something that, like, moves me forward ahead. Like, one thing I bought recently was <clears throat> Tailwind UI. Yeah. Um, which is really just a great, uh, tool, you know, it was like $250 and it gives you all these different, um, you know, designs that most likely you're going to need for like a landing page or a SAS or a dashboard. And, uh, it just really makes the development process so much faster and, and you don't have to pay a designer or anything like that. Um, so there's lots of tools and products like that nowadays that I think a lot of people are willing to pay money for absolutely i think i think like another interesting area um where indie hackers should probably pay more attention is like one-off purchases i think people are way more willing to kind of impulse buy a a one-off purchase rather than like a subscription which is like the tailwind ui Mm -hmm. i think is a good example because i i think that's a one-off purchase yeah yeah it is yeah yeah so i mean yeah i've i've you know, I've thought of the idea of doing a one-off purchase, doing maybe some kind of research as a service kind of thing as you're talking about. I feel like I always kind of go away from it eventually though, because like, I just kind of know that I ultimately want to build a SaaS. Yeah. Um, and I feel like other people might be in that same boat. Um, <clears throat> so I guess why, or, or how did you kind of combat against that? Like, 
do you do you still want to build a SaaS or 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 do you think that you could kind of go on with these Ember products for or or, or research as a service products for you know a while? I, I mean. I think it depends. Like I, I might change my mind in six months and, you know, look back and think this whole kind of focusing on content was a stupid idea. But the kind of reasoning I came to, to this at the moment is, um, you know, when I've dabbled with SaaS, uh, it's ended up with a bit more of a support burden, um, which I don't really want to spend time on. And it's always, it's always kind of put a worry in my mind of, um, you know, what if the product ends up going down? Um, what if there's some sort of technical issue? It's just, it's just like, more of a concern on my mind um mm-hmm. and uh so i guess i mean i, I missed the question so did you, you asked what um why yeah what was the question again um i mean kind of just like the idea of like you know like we were talking about most indie hackers end up wanting to do SaaS yeah. instead of like info products and stuff and i guess Okay, so so I guess I guess what are I guess some I, of the benefits that I, um, make you more so yeah want to do that. Right. So so one of the things I've been thinking about while doing this is uh, in the future if I do decide to go back to SaaS, then um, these kind of like content um, sites that I've built will be an asset that will help me d- succeed there. Mm-hmm. Um, so so one of the things I'm building, for example, is uh, it started out as a newsletter that features you know interesting APIs. Uh, I'm building that out into a directory uh, so people can come and, you know, find different types of APIs that do different things. And to me, I'm I'm seeing that as potentially a way to make some money. You know, I could sell sponsorships or whatever else, uh, but also a way to kind of test demand in the long run. So if, you know, in, in the next year or so, while I'm working on that, I see that, you know, um, a certain type of API gets uh, more search traffic on the directory, then I can see that there's probably demand for that. Uh, if I see that a new type of API mm-hmm. starts getting uh, some traffic, mm-hmm. then I can see that there might be some you know, underserved demand for that, and I can look into building something there myself. Um, and if I do build something there myself, then you know, I, I instantly start with a, with, a, with a bit of a head start there. Um, so I, I think like these things can be built uh, in a way where even if you do end up working on SaaS, uh, you, you can kind of figure out whether there's demand there. You can test whether you can actually um, reach the type of people who are looking for those solutions. So yeah, I, th- I think like in the long run, it's just a way to kind of um, build assets, potentially make money on the way. And uh, and if you do end up wanting to go back to SaaS, then uh, you know nothing's stopping you. I don't think I don't think um, you kind of have to pick one direction and then stick with it forever. Whether that's you know info product, SaaS, anything else. Yeah, yeah, I think. So, I mean, I think most indie hackers go towards the SaaS route, kind of as you're mentioning in the blog, because they see it as a way to get more freedom, to kind of free up their time. Um, but, yeah, like, how much of that do you think is actually true? Like, could do you think that you can work less or, or have more freedom doing one of these kind of info products or, you know, teaching products more so than a, a SaaS? Um like how because you've done both so like how do you think about yeah the time commitment and like the scope of projects and stuff like that that's kind of that's how it's worked out for me um i I know that there's people who who do build SaaS products and put them out there and and they do you know go well for them and they don't end up with a big support burden Uh, but i think those are quite rare 
Uh, from what I've seen, people who, who gain any traction with SaaS end up having to um, do a lot of support, um, or at least a reasonable amount of support, have to be around a lot, you know, have to take their laptop on holiday with them, etc. Uh, and this is specifically for people who are looking to, you know, keep their company small to like one or two people. Um, if you're looking to go bigger than mm -hmm. that, then obviously you can just, you know, hire people to, to um, kind of look after support and keep keep the servers up and all that stuff. Um, but for the content side, so Pageflows, for example, most weeks I just spend one day a week updating the content. Every now and again, I kind of work on some features and, and whatnot. Uh, it's really easy to keep the site up because it's essentially just a, a kind of fancy blog at this point. And if the site does go down, it doesn't actually matter that much. Um, you know, no, no, none of my customers' customers will be affected. Whereas uh, with a lot of SaaS products, at least you know, in, in the kind of the spaces a lot of indie hackers kind of develop in, uh, if your SaaS product goes down for a day, it's probably a big deal. Um, so I mean, right. that, that that's been my experience so far. But obviously, I, I don't know, I don't know about the people you've been speaking with. Um, but yeah. In most cases, in, in, it rarely seems to be as simple as put software out, charge for it, and kind of let it run as it makes money. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it definitely seems like with SaaS that there's a lot of work on the front end. There's a lot of work to like figure out what to build, how to build it, how to reach an audience, or how to reach your customer's distribution. And it, it does seem like maybe it's very much so the tail end of like after at least a year, maybe a couple years of like working really hard to like get this thing off the ground, then maybe you get to a point where like can maybe take it more easy and, and have uh, more time and not have to worry about that as much. Um, but yeah, it seems like it almost depends on like how quickly, you know, someone gets their SaaS to a successful point, which, you know, obviously takes shorter or longer for, for everyone. <clears throat> Um, but I, it's just, you know, that idea of just, oh, just my SaaS kind of like works for me and I don't really have to do, do anything else that I think a lot yeah. of indie hackers kind of go towards. Um, one of the things that like I could see with, you know, it, it probably depends, you know, how you set up this info product up. Um, but, you know, are you, are you going to have to do... And, and this could be like the work that's just like, oh man, this is like an ongoing continuous thing of like, do you have to always put this content out like on every week? Like, are you going to feel like you're on like a, <clears throat> a a treadmill of just always having to create new content, put new things out? Um, so like for you, uh, how is that with page flows? Are, are you having to do new stuff all the time? I, I do update the site every week. Um, but you know, right. I, I could batch that. I could just do you know four add four products in one week and then kind of drip them out on the site over the month. I don't have to update every week. I just kind of do that to keep customers happy. Uh, but the way I see it is, uh, you're most likely going to have to do that if you build a SaaS product anyway. Like it's unlikely mm -hmm. that you just build the product and you don't have to do any marketing. You don't have to write any content. You don't have to you know create marketable events. And with Pageflows, every time I you know, add a product to the site. Um, that's a reason to send out a newsletter. That's a reason to kind of tweet about it, even though I don't do that well enough. Um, so it's, it's kind of a marketable, marketable event that's kind of built into building the product. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it, it does depend, it does depend on the type of content site you build. And that's kind of one of the things I find scary about newsletters is that if people pay for your newsletter, you do, um, kind of have to come up with some good stuff every month, uh, to keep them happy. 
Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of scenarios where it, it can work out okay and you can build stuff that you know needs to be updated every now and again, but not constantly. And it doesn't matter if you do it on time or if you do it a week later. Uh, it all depends. I, again, I go back to Nomad List as a good example of, you know, that, that site has to stay up to date. Um, but if, if some of the, the things on there are a bit out of date, it's kind of fine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so it seems like, you know, if someone wants to start a, a product like this, like you'd really want to kind of plan out beforehand and have a strategy for like how much content you you need to build every week and create every week or or kind of build into the model just so that users have good expectations of like okay you're not going to be expecting me to like write something new or or put something out every day um or something like yeah. that where you're just going to be working like crazy to fulfill kind of those promises um but it, it definitely I mean, seems kind of like you're saying it seems definitely manageable yeah i mean the, there are other business models that work that mean that you don't have to kind of update stuff so frequently so i mean another example i gave was key values um which is a site that kind of goes through an engineering team's key values so you know if developers are looking to join a company they can read about that company's values see what they're like and see if they want to decide to work for them uh, and i think as far as i'm aware key values charges the companies to be on the site um, so they they compile that kind of profile for them and charge them for it a yearly price and i imagine that barely has to be updated uh, and i know that they charge a good amount of money uh, per year for that so that's an example where you're kind of doing research as a service uh, you're not charging the people who are kind of reading that research. Uh, you're charging the companies for like putting that research together and putting it on the site for them. Um, and yeah, that probably barely has to be updated. Another example is um, that I didn't actually add to the blog post, but I thought about it earlier. And I really love this example, actually. It's called Select Software Reviews. Uh, I think the person who, who runs this is also on Indie Hackers. Uh, but that's essentially research about HR software. So if a company is looking to buy HR software of some sort, whether it's you know applicant management, uh, video interviews, or whatever else, um, they probably have to research a whole bunch of providers to kind of pick based on the features or the price or whatever else, which one to go with. And this site puts that research together. And as far as I'm aware, they, pay, they make their money through... Um, letting HR software providers advertise on their website. So they probably don't have to, you know, update the content to any schedule or anything like that. And, you know, as they're building that product out, mm -hmm. um, every page they add to that is a potential page that more people will find on search. Uh, so, you know, even if they do have to spend time updating the content, that's kind of just part of the marketing as well as part of building the, the kind of product. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example so one thing this makes me think about is <clears throat> like you know most likely in most spaces um where you're doing some kind of research as a service info product like there's probably something out there that you know or somewhere where people can find this stuff or similar kind of content for free so like how do you compete with that if you're doing um one of these products where you know there's free stuff online or people are sharing similar things maybe on Twitter or other places. How do you compete with, you know, free when you're trying to, you know, get people to pay for these things? 
I think it's just like with any business, you kind of have to think up front about the business model. Um, like with select software reviews, it, it's kind of clear that software providers want to find more customers. So if you help them do that, they'll pay to advertise on your site. Um, with key values, a lot of companies struggle to hire, you know, talented engineers. So they have budget to try to, you know, get in front of more engineers who'd be interested in working for them. So they'd be willing to pay for that. Um, with other things, even if there's free stuff available, if people in that market kind of value their time and you can see that they pay um, for stuff that shows that they value their time, then it's likely that they'll be able to pay for your stuff. But an another great thing I think about this is it's it's super easy to test. As you saw with the kind of mm -hmm. um, software ideas example that you gave, I think that started out as a few posts on Indie Hackers itself. Um, so it, it's, it's really easy to kind of put one of these bits of research together, put it out there and see if it resonates, see if there's demand for it. And, you know, if, if nobody's interested, then don't continue. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I really think it's a cool idea and a cool business model. And it definitely makes me more so think of, of different ways that maybe I could do something like, like this in the future. Um, uh, so thanks for sharing about it with us. It was very uh, insightful. Um, I think it's definitely, you know, something that listeners should should look at. Because, um, you know, I think, as you mentioned, SaaS is definitely very hard. And there's a lot of, there's a big learning curve to get a full SaaS up and running and doing well. Where one of these kind of products, I think that that learning curve is smaller. Like, you can kind of just get started quicker. Um, and it also seems like right now, at least um, in the market, that you can get one of these products to grow faster and, and like get to uh, ROM and profitable a lot quicker than with a SaaS. Um, so I could see maybe a strategy kind of like what you're saying, where maybe you start out with one of these and it kind of gets you to a place where you're, you're, you, you know, you're making some money and then but you don't have to spend too much time on it so that then you can maybe start to work on maybe some other ideas you have or SaaS ideas. Um, so it seems like a pretty good strategy. So I, I like what you're doing with that. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's been great to kind of talk it through and kind of clarify my thoughts on it. Uh, I mean, now, now that we're kind of speaking about it, I think there's, there's probably some angles you could think about with uh, Potion, which sounds awesome, by the way. Um, but yeah, there's, there's probably resources. I mean... I know for a fact that there's tons of resources that people in the Notion community are looking for uh, that you could start putting mm -hmm. out before uh, uh, before the product's kind of ready to launch. Um, but yeah, super, yeah. Super, super interesting space. Yeah, what, what, okay, let's go into that a little bit further because I, I do have some thoughts around that. I'm interested to hear what you're, you're thinking. So, I mean, I've already been thinking about, you know, basically, you know, marketing ideas of how I can help users, people using Notion um, to then hopefully, you know, draw them into using Potion. Um, you know, it is interesting now that I'm thinking about this, it's like in some way I would be doing all that stuff for free so that they then use my SaaS product yeah. and that's where they pay me where, you know, you could just do an info product or something like this and just get paid doing like almost I could just get paid doing the same kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I don't know. Um, but some of my ideas were really doing a lot of kind of like uh, video content, which I kind of enjoy. Um, but video content around like 
showing kind of what's possible with Notion, like building different websites, different landing pages, and, and showing that process of building it with Notion and Potion, um, and almost like kind of teaching people how to build landing pages. Um, so like that's an idea, or similar to that, building content where it's like, here, or watch me make a website that you probably know of um, um, with these tools that you can use easily um, and kind of like just show what's possible. Um, so yes, yeah, so kind of some ideas around that is what I'm, I'm thinking so far. <clears throat> and that definitely would take like a lot of time and, and, and effort. Um, so I guess first, what do you think about those ideas and do you have any other ideas or advice for me with that? Yeah, I mean that, that those ideas sound great. I think that's content that you know people in the Notion community would would be absolutely interested in. Um, I mean, w when I listened to the podcast, you you kind of mentioned that there might be a B two B use case for Potion because a lot of businesses use um, Notion for their like knowledge bases or their like hiring pages and all that sort of stuff. And what immediately kind of jumped out to me when I listened to that was. I think a great way that you could get some traffic is um, templates uh, and examples of these these kind of pages built um, with Notion and Potion, uh, and that's like kind of an area to uh, a way you could get some good long tail SEO search traffic. So if you put a bunch of these templates together, um, showing you know great looking uh, knowledge bases, great looking hiring pages, all that sort of stuff. Uh, when people are looking to build those things and they Google, you know, examples of hiring pages or best looking hiring pages um, or career pages or whatever they're called, um, you could come up for some of those long term, term searches, long tail searches, and uh, and then people could see, you know, what's possible with your tool. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think there's, there's tons yeah. of tons of potential there. Yeah, I, I really like that. And. You know, I have thought about how I can do like templates and stuff in the future. And I think one of the things that's really cool with that model is <clears throat> I could have, you know, free templates, kind of like you're saying, building like templates for Notion websites that would all be, you know, just a Notion doc. Yeah. Um, and so anyone could come and get value out of that and kind of see or, you know, maybe just duplicate a Notion template and use it on their own for free or whatever. Um, but I could, and I'll have to figure out, you know, a good way to do this, <clears throat> but I could alongside that kind of have almost like the, the potion template on top. Cause really what potion is going to be is just like custom styling, adding kind of the custom styles that you can't just do in notion on its own. You can do with potion. And so kind of what I'm foreseeing right now is that there's almost going to be like two templates. There's going to be the notion template and then there's going to be the potion template That's that basically cool. just goes, that goes on top of that. So when I'm doing these templates, I can basically kind of give out the, the notion template for free but then kind of show them right beside that. Like this is what is possible yeah, if I you just really add potion small. on top of this and then all of a sudden you have a customized looking site um, that's kind of you know using the same box um and has the same data um but that's kind of what i'm i'm thinking which i think would be pretty fun yeah that, that would be awesome it's like you know here's this i'm helping you out you can just clone this but also if, if you want to look if you want your site to look this amazing then uh use use my product i think that's such a great idea cool okay that, that sounds good at least i have uh some encouraging feedback to kind of to keep me going down this road um, 
Cool. Uh, do you have any other thoughts about this topic? I think that's that's about all I've I have thought thinking about this. No, I, I think that I think it's covered. To be honest, uh, it's been great to kind of talk it through with you. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks, Rami, for coming on and sharing with us. Um, I'll be sure to put, uh, you know, listeners, you can find kind of the, the projects he's working on, um, where to follow him online, um, in the show notes. Um, but yeah, thanks for coming on, Rami. Sweet. You're welcome. Cheers. All right, listeners, we will talk to you in another episode. Bye.